Hello, my name is Taylor Clement. I'm head of school at Kirk Day School. And I'm Maria Massey, the assistant head of school at Kirk Day School. And I am David Adelini. I am the director of spiritual life at Westminster Christian Academy. And today we'll continue our podcast series on big questions for little people. Today we'll be exploring a little bit about sin and why we still have sin, even though Jesus has conquered the grave. And so we'll, we'll touch base on that in a little bit. But as you heard, we have with us David Adelini uh, from Westminster Christian Academy. David's got a fun history at Kirk Day School. And so we're, let's, yeah. let's unpack that to start with. So David, can you tell us about sure your thing. history with the school? Yeah, Kirk Day School has a sweet spot in my heart. Um, I was here in 1992, which was some of the form, forming years of the school. And so um, I came up through the first grade and Above me every year, a grade was added, so as I went through the school and finally graduated in sixth grade, I was the first full graduating class of Kirk Day School from first grade through wow. sixth grade. So a kind of an interesting history. Um, the school is still held to its mission and principles, which is awesome, and one of the reasons why I have my, my children here today um, at the school, but um, it, it looks very different at the same time. It yeah, was, I, bet. Uh, I bet. Better and and. Different, all all good things, all good things. Okay, so what from what's been maybe the most surprising thing from you as a parent to you as a kid of the differences? Um, I would say uh, so the the mission, the state, all those things are still the same, which is really refreshing for me to see from the, when I was here to the way it is for my children. Um, something that looks different is the, I would say the the way it's kind of lived out for students. So it was it was very quiet, very strict. There's a lot of rules and regulations and policies in place to help the students stay in line and do things when it was originally created. So chapels were pretty quiet. Lunchroom was pretty quiet. Everything was, was pretty in line and strict. So, uh, you know, young David, I'm figuring that out. I had a lot of time off recess trying to make my way around the school <laughs> and figure those things out. But... Um, just seeing the the way that life and and that's all good things because it it taught me and it taught us a lot of great things about how to respect authority and do things. But the way that's more, a little more relaxed to no relationship as well as policy and and how those things kind of jive and work out in the classroom and in chapel. Chapels are a little more lively and things now. It's those things are life giving and a lot of fun to see. So, who were some of your teachers when you were here? Oh man! So first grade, I had Mrs. Bernard. Um, second grade, I had Miss Flint. In third grade, I had Miss Koistra, who is now Mrs. Dare. Um, fourth grade, I had, this is really reaching back. Yeah, that, that's kind of Did you hope. want that? Did you want like yes. each grade? Holy I mean, cow. Well, no, I mean, you're going to see what you offered, but since you went there. Uh, wait, wait for it. Wait for it. I got her name. So fifth grade was Miss Simon, who was Mrs. Stone. Yes. Uh, sixth grade, Mrs. Noel. Well, for sixth yeah. grade, she was Miss and and my fourth grade teacher is um, Mrs. Vivian. She was, she was a great lady. Okay, yes, dude. That so it cycled through. Nice recall. Uh, man, it's it's that was a lot of rigor. <laughs> well, but you know, all the same. Here, here we are. You didn't know I was going to ask that question, no. and yet you just named first through sixth grades, and that also shows how important those teachers are. Yes, on your life, good and bad, and indifferent, right? No, I agree with that. It was uh, they all in different ways formed and shaped who I am, and I'm grateful for it, and helped me to understand um, the world, the Lord, and my place in it. So, mm. praise Jesus, and I'm grateful for Kirk Day School. I think a huge affirmation is is not only having my children here, but 
uh, all of my nieces and nephews are here. So it's a joy to be able to celebrate the life that the Lord gives to our families to, in this way. Man, that's great. Yeah, man. Um, that's awesome. So tell us, what it, you leave Kirk Day School and give us the elevator pitch of the rest of your life. Let's do it. So I went from Kirk Day School to Westminster Christian Academy. Went from 7th through 12th grade there. Graduated Westminster and then just went ahead and continued the system. So I went to Covenant College. Uh, graduated from Covenant College in 08. And then went from Covenant College to Covenant Seminary. Um, did Covenant Seminary when I was also doing full-time youth ministry. So it took me a while to complete Covenant Seminary. Finished Covenant Seminary in 2015. So since then, I've now been working as an associate pastor at New Covenant Church, which is a small local church here, and now am director of spiritual life at Westminster and teaching uh, four Bible, upper school Bible classes at the same time. So David, it's a, did you say yeah. you graduated from Covenant in 2015? I graduated from Covenant Seminary, yeah, 2015. Okay, okay. So we overlapped there for about two years. I was there awesome. 13 to 16. Okay, awesome. So, I, but I, obviously in a counseling program. So. Right, right. I, Maria, I think I did recognize you when I stepped on campus. Like, she, she's so familiar. I recognize, but I was <laughs> uh, doing seminary at the same time as doing, you know, youth ministry and those things. So I was only yeah. on campus for like a class a day. So like yeah. 50 minutes. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And yeah, we had those, um, you know, half, uh, half theology classes and half yeah. counseling classes. So. Right. Depending on where you fell, yeah, we had we definitely had some time with the the other theologians um, at on on the campus. So that's, that's cool. Awesome. Yeah. So um, the school has played a, a great facet in my life of learning not only who I am but who the Lord is and how I fit into His world. So it's been fantastic. Mm-hmm. Dude, that's great. Thanks for sharing that. I know that's Please. a the qu- quick hit down memory lane, and you know. Um, but with your kids being in the school, it's it's a, it's a pretty cool cycle, and you're one of the first parents to actually come back, and your kids have the same teachers that you had. Yes, which is kind of nuts because Mrs. Dare had yeah. Zion, did, yes. and she had Stony too, right? That's right. She had Stone, and then of course Gigi's still coming up, and then uh, Ms. Simon, who became Mrs. Stone, uh, worked worked here with me as well. The mm-hmm. the other four, I did not get the pleasure of working with, but yeah. All phenomenal women. Yeah. That's awesome. It is amazing. And it's very interesting when you go to meet the teachers again and they say, hey, please just call me Sherry. I was like, okay, <laughs> Mrs. Dare. <laughs> no, she's phenomenal. So, Maria, could you give us a quick recap as as we're getting ready to kind of talk and unpack from a theological standpoint? Because we're asking these really big questions and they're hard questions. But um, Maria, we just kind of give us a recap of where we've been for a minute for those that maybe didn't hear the first episode, which is totally fine, but just kind of where have we been and, and then I can get into kind of where we're going today. Yeah. So, uh, we started a series, um, you know, big questions for little people. Uh, obviously our context, you know, with our kiddos is, um, from three until, you know, 12. 13 years old. And so definitely developing minds, but they are constantly being fed spiritual, um, biblical truth, which can come out of a lot of questions can come out of that. Um, I've had those with my own, my own daughter. And I know Taylor and I uh, have talked about that a little bit and Taylor with his kids as well. And so 
last week, um, or last time we, we had the podcast, we did covenants and kind of what is the, the arc of the, the biblical story. Um, and how can we help translate that to our little kids who are still learning about the world and um, growing and developing in a way that they can uh, understand, but also see the beauty and the complexity um, of who God is. So that's kind of our heart behind why we wanted to do this little series. And I think today we'll talk about a topic that lots of, of parents probably have come across. Um, and again, this is more to for the parents for the parent side of how we're thinking about these biblical, um, you know, questions. And so try and be as applicable to po- as possible with our kids too. Yeah, and the abridged version of our mission statement is to partner with Christian parents to nurture, educate, and equip children to be disciples of Christ and impact the world. And as we do that, and we do that through normal everyday classes, we want Bible to be a a core part of that and a Christian worldview to be a part of that as it informs the way that our children learn science and math and history and writing. And um, they're not just learning those subjects, but they're learning about who God is through those subjects. And so one of those things, though, is when we get into class and children start asking these hard questions. We know that they'll ask them in the car. They've read something, heard something. Sometimes it makes you want to pull over. Sometimes it just makes you want to turn the radio on and act like you didn't hear the question because you have no clue what the answer is. Um, I've never done that before. Um, <clears throat> we all have, Taylor. We all have. Yeah, well, there you go. It's public now. But uh, the other day, one of our teachers was doing a Bible lesson. She sent an email to me, and she said that she and, and the kids were talking about sin and its effects on the world. And so... David, here comes the first question that we're going to give to you. And she said, the students started asking some deep theological questions. Question number one is this. If God is good, why is there still sin in the world? Goodness. It's it's huge. You're throwing high and tight, right? You're real high and tight. It's right, man. Um, This is a very difficult question that I think a lot of people uh, struggle with immensely, even after knowing a lot of theological understanding and background and all the rest behind it. But um, it is impossible as you look at Scripture and see the the redemptive story and all that takes place from beginning all the way through the end um, to separate the goodness of who God is and um, separating the goodness from his character. And so um, it's it's very hard to be able to um, conceptualize and reason these things, especially for young minds, because they see, you know, black and white, and they see right and wrong, and they're learning. They're learning God's world through kind of those experiences and those means. But I feel I feel like, as students are learning these things, and as we unfold Scripture to them and help them understand who God is and what He looks like, um, it's very important to start with the place that it is impossible for Him to not be good. Um, and so when we experience difficult things in the world and we experience hardship and brokenness, um, we oftentimes put it back on God to say, who are you and why would these things happen to us? Um, and I think that is a common and reflective question and that, you know, that's not necessarily wrong. I think we all deal with and struggle with those things. But how do we turn it back to say, as a result of the fall, as a result of sin, as a result of those things, Maybe it's not God's fault that these things are taking place. Maybe we need to look introspectively first and foremost at our hearts and our minds to say, what is our place in these things? And how do 
we experience them as a result of what's happened from the, from the beginning of redemption, the beginning of Genesis, and how that applies to the rest of our lives. And so the easy thing in hardship, I think, is to question God, to maybe shake your fist at God and to try to get answers and put him on trial, per se. Um, but I think one of the harder and bigger things is to recognize, if it is an impossibility, recognizing his character and his bigness and how wonderful and majestic he is, Maybe our starting point should first and foremost be with what is our place in the world and amidst the difficulties and hardships that we experience, how can we still see God as um, wonderful, bigger, beyond the hardship and things that we experience because he also came down into them to free us in and help us to know life without it um, through redemption and through his blood. So I would... I think the difficult thing here is trying to actually have a massive theological answer for a young mind. Um, I would start with helping students to understand who God is first and foremost and what his character looks like. Uh. And then from stemming from his character, then how do we then view and see what has happened in the world? What is our place as human beings and how does that storyline kind of play out after seeing our place, maybe it'll make a little more sense as to see, Okay, there is brokenness, there is hardship, there is um, pain that takes place, but is that coming directly from God? Or is there maybe a result of something else? Like man's choice to pursue our own desires, right? Those kind of things. And, and how would you incorporate maybe like a natural disaster, let's say, I don't know, pandemic mm-hmm. into that? Well, it's huge. Um, I believe the Lord is unshaken and unmovable. And so... Um, you know, over the course of history, there's always been difficulty and there's always been sickness. There's always been illness. There's always been hardship. I think that as we recognize that these things probably won't go away, but God is um, not shaken and not moved amidst them, it helps us to know confidence amidst the storms. It helps us to know that he is unshakable and immovable. Um, I think that there's pretty much a guarantee, you know, when in the New Testament where the Lord's talking about, are you going to build your house on a rock or on sand? Right. Um, the promise of that, you know, story in essence is that hardships will come. It says when, when the rain comes and when these things happen, are you built on the rock or are you built on sand? And so formative years especially, but even I preach to myself all the time, where is my foundation built? What am I established on? And is, is it on my own emotions, feelings? projections of the world or is it on who God is knowing that the creator of the world who uphold things by his spoken word and by the power of his of his will in his hand is the one that's orchestrating and, and still holding and mending us together um, it's not beyond him to see um, healing still take place it's not beyond him to still allow us to recognize and see amidst pain what does it look like to walk alongside people without having answers but knowing that he's still present with us um, we, we see this with Jesus on the cross. I mean, in the garden, he asked the Father multiple times, three times actually, if it's possible, will this cut pass from me? And um, the solution, or the, the answer we see to this in John actually is when uh, they come to, to arrest Jesus. And it says, is this not the cup that my Father has given for me to drink? And so the answer to his prayer is No. And I don't understand, you know, we understand now looking at the storyline of scripture, what this means and what this looks like and why Jesus had to do what he was going to do. He's the only one that could take the price for our sins being perfect. 
being God and man. But obviously, uh, this was a hard, hard moment in Jesus' life, and he was asking for it to be removed, this agony, this pain, the suffering that's to come. And uh, God says no. Um, but the promise in all of it is that he is still with him through it. Um, he doesn't necessarily remove the situations from us, but he sees him through them to completion. Mm-hmm. And so Jesus, in his obedience to the Father, went through what he had to do, knowing that he was the solution to this brokenness, to this hardship, to the things that are happening. Wow. Say, so, uh, so you got your uh, seminary degrees worth on that one? I do, but I'm going to tell you what, these kids are brilliant. This is a hard question. <laughs> they are. <laughs> they are. Yeah. Yeah, you know, as you were talking and um, understanding our place in it, I think it's very easy when we're in pain to start looking for someone to blame. Mm -hmm. And God becomes a very easy scapegoat for our pain, Um, especially, you know, when it seems to contradict what the Bible says. So I loved how you just reminded us that, that our place is understanding our place and our created, you know, we are we are creatures. Um, we were created. We did not do the creating. Um, it's so helpful. It's a great reminder. Mm-hmm. Not only not only are we created the beauty, and we all know this, obviously, through what Scripture says, but being an image bearer also puts that the mark upon us that there is nothing like us. And the way that he declares us is very good. It's not that he's looking for ways to destroy us. Um, and I think that that's important to remember that he's not just going to wipe out his image, his his conduit, his agent in the world to, to help kind of bring the good news to the rest of creation. Um, I think it's important to know that the Lord isn't, isn't an enemy, that because of what Jesus has done, we can actually know him as Father now and know peace with him. Um, and I think when we go through hardships, we kind of get on the other side of that sometimes, like, like you're saying, and you think God is against me. I must have done these things wrong, and this is the price that I'm paying for it. When in reality, Jesus is the one that took that penalty, that, that price for us. So now we can actually know a right relationship with God rather than a punishment for things. Definitely. So one of the other uh, questions they asked, why, why couldn't God get rid of sin when Jesus rose again? Oh, wow. I think that... Um, these kids are phenomenal, and they should probably <laughs> yeah. write their own book. No, I'm joking. But they are. This I, I, is I a think understanding question. Greek and Hebrew might be a little difficult it, for them at this time. It might. That's totally fair. Still I learning it, English. It's a little difficult for all of us. Um, I be, this is a Jesus Christ came to die on the cross for our sins. That's a true statement. That's biblical and scriptural. But I'm going to throw a little more depth to it in there. Jesus came to pay the penalty or suffer the penalty for our sins. So Romans tells us clearly that the wages of sin is death. And so there had to, that's, that's where it's going. Um, sin is separation. Sin separates us from God. And because he's holy and we are not in sin, he can't even look upon us. And so Jesus Christ's coming is an amazing thing because in his perfection and him as the, the appropriate sacrifice and all these things, I think a way to describe it to little kids is helpful for them to understand that um, Jesus came and he took our sins and he died on the cross. It's true. but The penalty of our sin is what he removed from us. So the big word there, obviously, we can look and see in Scripture's propitiation, and it's, it's the wrath of God poured out on Christ 
so that we, as his believers, we, we that follow um, Jesus and believe in him and in his death and his resurrection, have a right or renewed relationship with the Father again in peace, not in angry. See, because we were all enemies of God. And so the beauty for us is that we get to know a restored relationship with him again rather than one of um, frustration or being an enemy like Scripture talks about. So Jesus Christ died for our sins, and I'd even take it further. Jesus was the one that took the wrath of God on our behalf so that we didn't experience it. And I think if we understand that distinction, um, that yes, believing in him is forgiveness, um, I think at the same time what we're not experiencing is the wrath of God. So sin, sin still exists, and I believe in the fullness of the kingdom is when we will, when we will experience the beauty of no longer suffering from sin or pain or death or having those things happen. But in the meantime, we're in that, that transitional phase of knowing who we are in Christ, receiving forgiveness, knowing life in him, and looking and learning further every day what it means to walk that out. So there are big, big words we can use theologically. But um, if I could give an example, I think it would be something like, um, you know, I, I studied in Africa, actually, in the small country of Zambia. For in college. Um, I did an internship there and, and lived in the country for a while. And when I was there, I got used to the customs of the area where I lived. I got used to the way that people talked and the accents and, and the culture that I was in. Even though I'm an American citizen, I've grown up in St. Louis, all those things, being submerged in it kind of began to change the way that I saw things and even speak to some degree. It changed the way I put my words together because I was around them for so long. Then coming back home, when I would speak, people would be like, why, why do you sound so different? Why are you speaking uh, differently and putting your words in the wrong spot in the sentence? Um, and then I reflected on myself as I, on accident, just being there long enough, it kind of changed the way I began to see the world, even talk about the world. Um, and I think uh, coming, coming back, I didn't recognize it until being back in St. Louis, but I had to kind of relearn or reshape the way that my accent sounded and the way that I phrased my words and phrased my sentences. Um, if you can go with this illustration, I think it's similar to what Christ has done for us on the cross. Um, we came from a place that was outside of his kingdom. We can call that unrighteousness, enemies of God, right? And in receiving Jesus as our Lord and believing in him, um, and knowing that he paid the price for us as what we would call a substitute, uh, we know that we are brought into his family. And so the beauty is, I, in the same way that I had to relearn, in essence, my own culture and reshape my sentences and get my words back in order, I had a status of who I was, and that didn't change, but I'm still learning again the way to speak, to speak like a St. Louisan, if I could say it that way. Um, farty, 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 far. It's appropriate. You already picked up on that one, huh, Taylor. Oh yeah, that's yeah. That, that one didn't take too long. Yeah, that's the way my grandma talked. Um, it's just like the Egyptians when they were in Egypt. They were there for four hundred years. They come out of, they come through, you know, the Red Sea splits, and they come through, and and the first thing that happens after being delivered from slavery in Egypt is they're given the law. It's one of the first things that takes place because God's saying. If you're going to be my people, you're my chosen people, I'm going to give you something to live by that says that this is how you operate in my economy. But, you know, that takes learning to understand those things as they learn to apply the law and follow it and obey it. Didn't necessarily take the Egypt out of them right away. Right. 
And so I'm trying to correlate in the same way. When you receive Christ, there's not necessarily this the flip that switches that says all of a sudden all the things I've ever struggled with, all the temptations I've ever had, all the hardships and sin issues I've ever dealt with are gone. It's actually now you are have a different status change. So you go from unrighteous to righteous. That's called justification. You're declared righteous in, in Jesus. Um, but that doesn't mean that sin is gone or eradicated. It means the wrath that should be given to you was put on Christ, and you're not experiencing the wrath of God anymore. You're experiencing peace with the Father, which is amazing. And so as we learn more and more and are growing, that's called sanctification. As we grow in the process of learning more and applying these things, the beauty of it is, in the same way that I restructured my sentences and learned again to speak like my hometown people, just like the Israelites coming out of Egypt, they had to go back to learning what the living by the law of God looked like to be in his economy. In the same way we look at the word of God, we apply it to our lives, and we see what does it look like to, to be like Christ, to be this new creation, to understand the process of being more and more refined into his image. Um, and I think that that is, that is a, a lifelong process. That's, that's what sanctification is. And there will be a day in the fullness of the kingdom where we use this fancy word called glorification, where there will be no sin. Um, but but we're not there yet, and so there's it's a process of us knowing that temptations are still real, sin is still real, it's still a struggle, but we have um, Jesus as as the one who has paid the price for us and has given us the understanding of what it means to be made righteous instead of um, continually struggling necessarily to do those things. Well, and I'm hearing specifically that. If God just eradicated sin mm-hmm. when he rose from the dead, that that grace would be cheapened. Yeah. That it, it's kind of the, the same thing of, um, and I'm, I'm going to speak in a very Western, very United States capitalist mindset. If everything's free, mm-hmm. then there's very little value. And so in, in a way I'm hearing that the price was so high for this that if we were just to l- lose our sin, we would really lose our appreciation for what Jesus did of taking that on. That's right. And um, I believe the process of sanctification, all the rest, is is presenting the body. That's you and me as believers mature in Christ. So it's also just like children going through KDS. They start young and they grow older and they mature. They learn that they are a different person when they started to when they graduate. Mm-hmm. And that process is still going on even in high school. It's still So why, why are you born necessarily? but still growing. Why didn't the Lord just allow all of us to enter the world as 35-year-old people? There's a process of understanding life, understanding who he is, understanding what those things look like, growing in faith, growing in maturity, growth all over and, and in everything, experiencing the hardships like we talked about before. There's pain in the world, but the Lord is greater than all of it. Um, 2 Corinthians 5.21 talks about that exchange between you know, him who knew no sin became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. And that's a beautiful example of Jesus taking our brokenness and taking our pain, even though he was perfect, so that we would be made righteous or have a, a, a right standing before the Father when we don't deserve it. Pretty powerful. And a great thing for, I think, little minds to begin to grasp. Yeah. That's that's incredibly powerful. <laughs> I mean, I'm a little bit overwhelmed um, just hearing you say that in a great u- use of, you just use propitiation, justification, sanctification, and glorification, all the Asians. 
Um, and we got them all. Man, that, that was well done. We checked that box. The words, the words don't necessarily have to be used, but if we can understand what they look like as we walk. You know, somebody once said to me, the, the process of learning these things is making that transition from your knees to walking it out in life fluid, um, which if you want to put the Asians on it, it'll be sanctification. But getting up from crying out to the Lord to say, Lord, I need you. I'm, I still feel the pull and the effects of all the brokenness and sin around me and the temptations I have. But then walk, getting up from crying out to him on your knees and walking out faithfully knowing you are made righteous. You are a son or a daughter of the king. You have the ability in Jesus Christ to be, um, to be life to other people because he's given you life, to forgive because he's forgiven you, all those kind of things. It has a different pers- perspective in life rather than just constantly being beaten down or, or struggling, which, which is still there, which is still very real for all of us. But it definitely helps with perspective. Mm. Man, thank you. That's deep. It is deep. And, and the, really the last question that they asked, and I think this is germane and, uh, to, to what you were just saying, why hasn't Satan been defeated yet? Mm. And, and I think you, you answered that question, but, but maybe go, go even a little more elementary of why you think Satan hasn't been defeated yet and what does Scripture say about the, um, right. his inevitable defeat? Yes, mm-hmm. but, but it's not here and it's not now. Yeah. I mean, it's pretty amazing when you look at the cross. Um, God made what we would call a public spectacle of Satan. You know, he thought he had everything... Uh, dotted and crossed, and then Jesus rose from the grave. And so there's a powerful statement just by looking at the resurrection to see the beauty of what the Almighty God had, Father had put in place, that the Son was able to accomplish, that the Holy Spirit applies to us. These are all really, really big words, but um, to say it in a, in a really easy way, I think the Lord allows Satan to still do things because we're in the in the process of still being refined and redeemed. Uh, he uses the temptations and, and the works of even the devil for his, for his glory and for his benefit. If We believe that God truly is in control of all things and the one that makes all things, orchestrates all things, happens. Even the hardships that we go through that seem to be uh, ploys of the enemy, I think can be utilized for God's glory. Man. Well, and it's and it's tough. It's tough to imagine that, right? It's it's tough to imagine that, you know, as the scripture says, what Satan meant for uh, for good or bad, God meant for good. And it's tough, I think, for our finite minds. And, and I've used the quote many times. And I think of Oswald Chambers, who says, you know, so often we think God's missed the mark, and we're just too small to see the target. Mm-hmm. Um, and you think about the, you know, going back to the Israelites. Um, here they are. They've seen miracle after miracle after miracle, and then they get into the desert, and God's like, yeah, but you still don't believe. Mm-hmm. And, and here you are to wander for another 40 years. Yeah. Um, you got to get this message. you got to get it right and understand who I am. Um, and I think a lot of times we, we do miss that, and we wonder why is Satan able to rule and be the prince of the earth when God is, is king of eternity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think the, just remember as a believer— um, Jesus is so big and so wonderful, and the things that he has accomplished and applied to our lives, um, we are the ones also that he has uh, made his, I mean, the, 
a good word would be agents, but if I could say um, for, for little minds, you know, we're, we're on the Lord's team and he's already won. And so the beautiful part is amidst the hardships and challenges that happen in the world, recognize that you're already on the winning team and you don't have to fight to try to win something constantly as much as receive the place that he's given to you as a champion, as a co-heir, as one that is with Christ and a new creation in him. I think in the garden, it asked the question all the time, can you trust me without having all the answers? Mm. All these kind of big, big questions that little minds are asking, in the end, boil it down to just talking to your children about the beauty of Jesus Christ and his obedience to the Father and what he's accomplished for us that our children would fall in love with Jesus because the biggest and greatest gift would be that they would know Jesus at a young age, fall in love with him and desire to be obedient to him, not because they have to, but because they get to. And I think if they see Jesus, they won't, they won't want other things. Um, obviously there's, there's process by all that happening and understanding it, but talk to your kids about the Lord and how wonderful he is and how beautiful he is and all that he's done for us, his faithfulness and his love and his joy that your kids would hear that constantly and begin to replicate that in the home um, because there's nothing greater than Jesus. And what are some resources maybe that you would recommend as as parents are learning theology? And mm-hmm. theology seems like such an intimidating word, and so much of it is, yeah. is how God is revealed in studying him and his word. Mm-hmm. But, you know, Jesus Storybook Bible is always a place that, that we love to start because Sally mm-hmm. Lloyd-Jones does such a good job of of summarizing um, in beauty and in simplicity yeah. some of the depth of God's story. But what are what are some other recommendations you might have? Man, that's my biggest one. I, we read that to my, our kids almost every night. And they're memorizing the stories and they're getting it because they're understanding the big picture of the story. That is one one love story over time. Yeah. So besides Jesus' story Bible, there's other, there's other little books like that. Louis Giglio has one called Indescribable. Yeah. Um, it's a great little story where it takes kind of science and things that happen and pairs it with scripture to proclaim how indescribable our God is, which is also a great thing for little provocative minds to get cool answers to things that that then wraps it in scripture and kind of houses it in a way to see the beauty of our King. Um, We also try to use as much as we can music. Yeah. So any form of, of kids worship CDs. um, I know the, the Holcomb family has done some great stuff with music and worship music lately. Um, so if you can mix it with your daily conversations in your home about who Jesus is and, and how he's so wonderful and talking about him with reading a story at night and then putting some music on in the car that encourages and reminds them of those things, um, that's a wonderful trifecta, I think, because there's a lot of living to do, but at least it puts in them a foundation to who Jesus is and what he's done and why it's so important. Well, and you mentioned the Holcombs, and, uh, and Ellie Holcomb, uh, uh, maiden name is Bannister. If you're in church, uh, there's a lot of times where you've sung a song where she and her dad perhaps have, have uh, they, they wrote that song together. But then Ellie Bannister married Drew Holcomb, who is the lead singer of Drew Holcomb and the Neighbors, um, a secular band, but, but strong believers. And they've done a really good job of working with several different groups of, of doing some kids' CDs that don't feel nearly as cheesy as they once did, and they're, and they're very good, quality, well-produced, well-written songs. Um, Rain for Roots is, is one of those, uh, I know, and then there, there's a lot others out there, and, and if you look, you can find it. It may not be right there, obvious. It's not going to be, you know, like 
um, I guess what they call you know kids bop, where they where they basically take out all of the bad words of the the pop culture. Like yeah. that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about some really good songs that these kids get to know and love. And so I would I would definitely uh, second that and recommend some investigation because, quite frankly, um, just a testimony from our life is um, we play scripture lullabies uh we, we tell our robot to to play them every night and they do and our daughter's been going to sleep to that for years and um what we've noticed is is through our ups and downs even in our marriage that music is is soothing to our souls because it's scripture yeah. and and there there's truth behind it and that it's really beautifully done and god uses the gift of his word and and who he is but also in the gift of um and music to to minister to that and i think we we've Katie and I have had a better understanding of who God is through that music because of the way that it has been produced, and, and that's a it's a really special thing. Yeah, hey man, it's it's great to listen to. La- last thing I'd do is I'd plug um, your pastor. If you are a member of a church, I guarantee you that your pastor wants to hear from you. Elders in the church want to meet with you. They want to be able to walk life alongside you. And so a great resource that is is oftentimes, I think, not thought of immediately is go to your pastors, go to your elders, go to deacons, go to people in your church that, uh, if anything else, they will stand with you in prayer and they'll pursue you in the gospel. And so they'll pray for your kids, they'll love your kids, they'll, they'll lo- love your family well. And so don't overlook um, the beauty of the way the Lord has instituted the church as a means of caring for families as well. And thank you. Thanks for sharing. Thanks for the time. Thanks for Taking time out of your day to, to minister to our families, and um, thanks for being a KDS alumnus that we can be proud of on weekdays, and um, oh, I mean every day. And That's fair. Yeah, yeah, right. Um, but no, thanks, man. Thanks for trusting us with your kids, but um, thanks for just sharing sharing your heart and sharing what God God has done in your life, and um, just uh, being a resource to us. Thank you. Please, delight to be here and to walk alongside you all. Thanks. And if somebody wants to follow up with you, um, is there is there an email they could reach out to you? Yeah, anytime. Uh, my email at Westminster is D Ottolini. It's O T T O L I N I at W C A S T L dot org. All right. And uh, and so again, KDS parent, you'll probably see me in the carpool line. If not, you'll see me at a soccer game, um, chasing stone and GG around as well while Zion plays. But uh, man, thanks. Thanks for sharing. And uh, for those of you that have more questions or maybe you're in the car and, and your kids ask those questions, and you go, oh, man, I, I don't know. Send them to us because, quite frankly, that that's a little bit of the goal uh, for me as a parent. Uh, Maria as a parent. We're trying to figure this stuff out. And uh, and we want to call on people that, that are walking this and want, want the best for your children to know more of who God's character is, as David said at the beginning. So send those to us. But until next time, we appreciate you guys listening. We thank you. And, David, once again, thanks so much. <laughs>